Grace be unto you and peace, peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, amen. The fellow hearers of God's word. Last Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, we talked in our sermon about the various traditions and customs that families follow during this holy time of the year. And one of the traditions we did talk about and focus in on is that custom of going home for Christmas. No matter where home is, that seems to be the destination of many people at Christmas time. But as our society becomes more mobile and affluent, it's becoming more and more common that people travel to other places rather than home. Many board planes to go to places that are warmer and, and more comfortable at this time of the year. And so I would say that maybe it's fast becoming a new custom of American society that many people take flight at Christmas. Do you know when that custom first happened? Arguably one could say that it started on that first Christmas. <coughs> when Jesus, the baby, with his parents, took flight. Obviously, they didn't board a plane, but they took a flight nonetheless as they fled to Egypt to escape murder by King Herod. And this morning, we're going to take a look at that account. And what we want to learn is this, that even though that baby Jesus in the manger in Mary's arms looks so weak and innocent and powerless. He still is the almighty son of God. And even though there is a king who is trying to murder him, he still is the king of kings and lord of lords who rules all things for the benefit of his people and their salvation. And that's the thought we consider. He is the king. In spite of other wicked kings in this world, he is the king in spite of his humble appearance. Recall what had happened. Wise men from the east had followed a star. They were looking for the king of the Jews who had been born. And they came to Jerusalem and had troubled Herod because Herod looked upon anyone as a threat to his throne, especially if someone was called the king of the Jews. So when he learned from the teachers of the law that the Christ child had been born in Bethlehem, he sent, his soul, he sent the wise men there to go and find this Christ child and then to come back and report to him so that he could also go and worship. But we know that was not his intent. His intent was to kill the baby Jesus. And so when he learned that the wise men had not returned but escaped by another route, he sent his soldiers to Bethlehem and as I mentioned in the introduction to the service, he put to death every baby boy in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. It's called by the church the slaughter of the innocents. The slaughter of the innocents. Now when we hear about that, we often think that maybe Herod was the one in control. But he wasn't. And so God, to save his son, told Joseph to take the family to escape to Egypt. And that's what they did. And as we see this account unfold, we see again 
that Herod was not the one in charge at all. It was still the Christ child who was still in charge. And none of this happened by chance. It was all under the control of the Almighty God Himself. And how important that is for us to know that. Because God was in control, He saw to it that His Son would not die by the hands of wicked King Herod. But when the time was according to His timetable, His Son would suffer. And He would die to save us from our enemies, namely sin, death, and hell. Now we can talk about the slaughter of the innocents by King Herod, but it's important for us to remember that when Jesus died, the innocent Son of God died for the guilty. Now as we think about that, down through the centuries, there have been other rulers of this earth who saw the Christ child as a threat to their power, to their position, to their possessions, to their comfort, maybe even to their own beliefs. And because these wicked rulers could not get at the Christ, they often went after his followers. And so we know that down through the centuries, many of God's people were called upon to suffer for the sake of the Christ child. And sometimes they were even called upon to die. And dear friends, you and I to this point have been spared many of that suffering. But that day may come. You may have already suffered in ways for the sake of Christ. But God has not yet called upon any one of us here to lay down our life. But that day may come. But regardless of how we suffer or when we suffer for the sake of Christ, let us not be deceived and let us not despair. Let us not be deceived into thinking that somehow Jesus lost control. He's always in control. And let us not despair because we know that he will never give his followers more than what they can bear. But in the end, even if we die... He still gives us the victory through eternal life in heaven above. But you know, we can, we can look at all kinds of other enemies on the outside and rulers down the century who tried to, to do away with Christ and his followers. But you know, there's a more dangerous enemy. And he's not far from each one of us. And no, I'm not talking about the devil. I'm talking about our own sinful nature. You see, our sinful nature sees the Christ as a threat. A threat to its comfort. A threat to its pride. A threat to its desires. You see, our sinful nature wants to serve no one except its own passions. And so the battle is on each and every day. Our sinful nature wants to do away with Christ and go its own way. And so each and every day the battle is on. And we know what that battle is. We have to crucify our sinful nature each and every day by daily contrition and repentance. And you know when we talk about crucifixion, crucifixion is always a bloody mess. And crucifixion 
someone always has to die. Jesus had to die only once for our sins. But daily we must drown our sinful nature in repentance. And when we do that daily, it always has to be at the foot of the cross. Because there we find the strength from our Savior to crucify that sinful nature. And we also find comfort there for the times when we fail in that battle. Christ is the king who reigns in spite of wicked enemies and rulers. But he also reigns in spite of his humble appearance. Matthew goes on to tell us that when Herod died, it was time for Joseph to take his family back to Israel. And so when he left Egypt, that was a fulfillment again of one of God's Old Testament promises. But when Joseph got to the land of Judea, he was afraid to settle there because even though Herod was dead, his son Archelaus was ruling. And Archelaus was even more wicked and more ruthless than his father Herod. And so, at direction of the Lord, Joseph settled in the land of Nazareth. And you know, that didn't happen by chance either. We also hear from the scriptures that God had promised that the Son of God, the Savior from sin, would be a Nazarene. And as we hear this, we are reminded that we have a God who keeps every one of His promises. He kept every promise about the Savior. And if He kept every promise about that Savior winning our salvation, we have every reason to trust this God. Now, being a Nazarene or someone from Nazareth was not a compliment. Do you remember how Nathaniel responded when his brother told him that we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth? Nathaniel said, Nazareth? What good thing can come from Nazareth? In other words, the people living in Nazareth were looked upon as the backhill country people. And apparently, like many Jews, Nathaniel believed that the Savior, when he came, who was a son of David, would be born in some royal palace or in some royal city like Jerusalem. But Jesus was not that kind of king. He wasn't born in a palace, but a stable. He did not ride on stallions, but on lowly beasts of burdens. He did not... He did not have an army that followed him with legions of soldiers, but he was followed by a band of fishermen. And when he died, he didn't die as a hero. He died as a criminal. But don't, don't be disappointed in his humble appearance. That was his plan all along. He came here to live humbly in our place to win our redemption. Unlike other kings, he didn't come to take from us, but to give to us. And the Apostle Paul put it this way, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Jesus is the king who reigns, the king of salvation. 
And we believe this in spite of his humble appearance. And so maybe you didn't travel to some warm place over this holiday season, but maybe you know somebody who did. And maybe when you run into them later on in the winter months, they might tell you about that trip. Maybe even so, show you some pictures, or maybe just show off a, a quick tan. I don't know. Well, today we heard about our Savior's flight, his flight to Egypt. And as we remember this account, let's remember that he is the king who reigns in spite of powerful and wicked rulers and in spite of his humble appearance. And as we see him as this king who reigns, we have reason to continue that Christmas hymn, Glory to the Newborn King. Amen.